0: Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 10, Supporting Quiet, Shy and Anxious Children with Dr. Susan Davis and Dr. Rhiannon Packer.
1: Welcome back everyone. We have a very special episode for you today. We've got two podcast guests with us Tom.
0: We have two colleagues from Cardiff Met who are joining us down the line we've got Dr Sue Davis and Dr Rhiannon Packer, hello.
1: Warm welcome to you both. Hello, hello there. (laughs) (laughs) And we should probably tell the listeners that again we are not all in the same room because we are still in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic so we've got Sue and we've got Rhiannon on teams at the moment but um, I think it's probably best to hand over to you to tell us a little bit about uh, what you do so susan let me hand over to you first talk to us about what you do Okay. Well, thank you Tom and Emma and thank you so much for inviting us
2: here today. Basically, I'm a senior lecturer in the School of Education and Social Policy. I work on the PGC Primary program where I teach primary humanities. So hello to all my PGC students out there. I also work on the MA program where I'm a tutor and dissertation supervisor, and I'm also the pathway leader for the ProfDoc, the EdD. Um, within the school um, so hello to all my D students well hello to all my students actually hello everyone you <laughs> and, wear uh, many hats uh, Sue I do indeed yes I do indeed I'm very very fortunate to do that and um, also well I'll talk to you about the research in the, in the moment working on the research with Rhiannon
1: wonderful welcome to you and thanks for being on our podcast today and over to you Rhiannon tell us a bit about what you do
3: Hello Baradar and thank you for the invitation. I work on the undergraduate programme, Education, Psychology and SEN, teaching mainly the Additional Learning Needs modules and I also run the MA Additional Learning Needs Pathway. So if there's any students who are thinking about doing Additional Learning Needs, I'm the person to contact.
1: Brilliant, okay, so you've come to talk to us today about some research that you've been doing together on a very specific and very important topic. So, which of you wants to tell us a bit about what you're gonna to come to talk to us about today? Okay,
3: uh, shall I start off, Rihanna? Yes, okay, um, and yeah. I'll fill in okay. later.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, okay, well I started this research uh, follow- following on from my eddie doctorate um, research myself um, in 2012. Um, and I worked with some PGC students and I worked with school colleagues and then a little further down the line then I was very lucky to sort of bump into Rhiannon more or less in the the coffee bar we started talking about our shared interest in this subject Um, and then Rhiannon came on board with the research which I was very very pleased to have her and her expertise and we kind of went from there really.
1: And you're looking at a very specific group of learners tell us about Mm. those learners Rhiannon.
3: So, we're looking at learners who are considered by practitioners to be quiet, anxious children. Um often they're the children you maybe don't notice in your classroom because they'll with their work very quietly, they very rarely offer um, any answers to questions, et cetera, and are quite reluctant to participate verbally in the classroom. Um we were just looking at those children because they're overlooked by practitioners, and sometimes they're not valued or not seen or their skill set is not seen by practitioners because they're so quiet. So it's about providing an opportunity for those learners maybe to develop some confidence in their own ability to actually express themselves in the classroom. Um, And there's an estimation by James et al. to say that there's about between 26 and 5.2% of children who experience anxiety in the classroom, so our thinking was that if we provided some sort of intervention early on, that might mitigate any longer term consequences of having anxiety so that we're providing that support before it maybe gets to become something a bit more serious.
1: Thanks, Rhiannon. This is absolutely fascinating. So I want to take a few steps back before we get into the kind of findings of your research or, or where you're at with that at this stage. You mentioned that often practitioners overlook these learners so I guess it's maybe a bit of a paradoxical question how do we as practitioners identify them and, and make sure that they're not overlooked and you also mentioned that it's practitioners who identify them as quiet yeah. shy anxious yeah. learners mm, how yeah. might how might they identify themselves as two parts of that question yeah. how do you okay. identify them um, how would they identify sh- themselves shall I, shall I, uh,
2: go in here. Okay, so basically if we're looking at how to spot them in the classroom, it's looking at the fact that these children are by their very nature quiet and undemanding. The description of them they've been called invisible children, which I don't mm. like that that label, but um because and that comes from teachers. So I think if you're a teacher out there or, or a student teacher, it's those children that if you, if you're asked to name your 30 children in the classroom, they're probably the ones you think, oh, I forgot about josh oh i forgot about emma so it's that it's that sort of thing um they also don't mind if they don't receive immediate attention and they'll sit for long periods of time in the classroom waiting for it they're also often uncomfortable with open-ended questions and we've found um in our research that quite often you're more able girls this applies to um because they overthink things and also they have they often have strategies to avoid teacher's gaze and they kind of you know basically are in the back of the classroom just getting on with things quietly. And I think also the other thing that that is important, I mean, we don't want to be labelling children but I think we do tend to do this as as teachers Mm -hmm. and also we make up our minds very quickly about children and I think it's important not not to do that in this case and I think that the other thing is looking at why some children are quiet, shy and anxious there's some research Rubin and Assendorf view shyness as a choice they say that children choose to be shy and they actively withdraw from social situations now I don't think that's the case I kind of subscribe more to the idea of Kagan who says it's this idea of an inhibition to the unfamiliar so they are if if they're in an unfamiliar situation obviously we're in very very difficult times at the moment with Covid so one of the things that I'm thinking is there are going to be a lot of more lot more children displaying these quiet, shy, anxious behaviours now. And also it's this idea of um, shyness and Kagan is saying that shyness is an inherited trait, which I subscribe to a little bit more. And I think the other thing that we need to look at is the fact that shy children often have shy parents. Um, and in my own experience of working with these parents, they're the ones themselves that will, won't catch your eye on the playground. Um, mm. So I think that we don't know, not only do we need to be working with the children, we also need to be understanding the dynamic that comes from their family situation if they have a quiet parent.
3: Mm. Yeah, Robert Copeland has done quite a lot of work into shy children in the States. And he's noted in his work in 2011 that a lot of practitioners maybe consider quiet, shy children to be less intelligent and therefore have lower expectations because they're not volunteering themselves in the classroom. The expectations of the practitioners are are lowered in terms of um, what they think those children are able to do yeah definitely definitely so
2: I I think really it's our role as practitioners really to gain an understanding of the complexities of shyness Mm -hmm. and to be able to support children in developing their confidence and into putting strategies and put strategies into place to alleviate some of the the issues surrounding that Um, and I think one of the things that we want to talk about later is that Being shy is not a negative. Um, There's Mm -hmm. lots of I want want to set set that there at the beginning. There are lots of positives of of being shy, and also a lot of people who have achieved a lot of things are shy people. And again, I'll talk I'll talk about that as we go through the 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 chat this morning.
0: I was just thinking then uh, the thing that really jumped out at me in your description there, quiet, shy, and anxious uh, pupils. I mean, I'm, although I'm a performer and although I can kind of turn it on in performance, I'm in in sort of meeting situations, social situations, I'm very quiet and I'm very reticent in coming forward. I don't think I'm a particularly anxious person. So is it important maybe to to differentiate between uh, pupils who perhaps have got anxiety around these situations and pupils who, who choose to not sort of say the first thing that comes into their heads, you know, and and is that kind of okay as long as they're they're happy with it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good point, Tom. Not all quiet children are anxious children, um, but sometimes being shy can make you anxious, especially if you don't feel that that your points are getting heard or you don't feel able to get your points across as you said sometimes you're quiet in a meeting um so therefore that can cause you or it may cause you anxiety because of the very fact that you're quiet so the, mm-hmm. the two don't go hand in hand but in our experience we found that they, it is a factor in, in in that whole kind of dynamic
1: and up to this point we've been talking about sort of how researchers have characterized from their research these individuals have have you looked at any research or have you yourselves actually spoken to these learners and heard from the horse's mouth as it were how they would describe themselves would they characterize themselves as quiet shy yeah uh, well our work so far we've been
2: working with with very young children in foundation phase and um, we have worked with some older learners in year three four and obviously the younger the child that the less you know the, the more difficult it is for them to actually kind of a conceptualize it and be sort of vocalize it uh, but for some of the older children yes and I think that Tom you were saying that that, that you feel you, you feel that you're a quiet person well I, I, I'm not speaking for Rhiannon but I, I, I am a quiet person so for my own experience of being a quiet person in the world I've kind of I can I've sort of experienced it in that in that dynamic really and I know Rhiannon you have as well haven't you?
3: Yes yeah and I think it, yeah, for me, I think it's not necessarily, it's not always necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes you can perhaps feel frustrated in that maybe you you need to consider what you want to say first before mm. you actually say it um, mm-hmm. and then consider the audience. Um, and I think some children feel overwhelmed because we're usually, or they are, in very busy classrooms. There's a lot of noise going on around them. Mm. Um, They're very uh, boisterous children. Um, And sometimes that can be intimidating, but it also can be, um, you know, it might be easier to let that person speak because they always speak. So, you, you know, why should you say anything because... They're going to speak anyway. So it's about maybe finding uh, or giving an opportunity for children to express what they're thinking, but to give them that time as well. Uh, because I think working in a busy classroom, we often overlook that or don't see it uh, because we're, you know, we're trying to manage maybe 30 children in a class. Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: So so managing the environment, I, I, one of my questions was going to be about, is it, is it our job to change these learners these introverted mm. learners as it were mm. or is it our mm-hmm. job to create the conditions where mm. all of them can thrive yeah. it's it's yeah, sorry it's definitely not about changing
2: the child or changing the learner um as i said before they, there's nothing wrong with being a quiet shy person being an introverted person and and if we look at the work of people like susan kane we should be celebrating the introvert because they bring many skills and many qualities to the table one of them is is, is i mean i I don't subscribe to this this using this but they ca- they can calm other children down I mean from my own experience one of my daughters was a quiet child and when she was in school she was always sat next to the boisterous boys which was fine for them because yes it calmed them down but it gave her a lot of anxiety so I'm not subscribing that as a as a as a strategy at all but it's really really important to do that and just just nipping back to your your previous point Emma about about learners um, I, I must say that the Covid situation has thrown up lots and lots of different challenges lots of different negatives but a positive I found from some of my MA students last week Two of the quiet students said to me, I really, really appreciated learning on Teams because I was able to put my comments into the chat. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure other, other other, people have, and I know Rhiannon, you know, so if you nodded, that is a real positive for quieter people because they're getting their voices heard. Whereas in a normal classroom situation, she probably, those two people would have sat back and said nothing. Mm-hmm. So We've got to look as teachers at how we engage all of our learners. Mm. We celebrate our more vocal children, because they've obviously got a voice and something to say, but we also celebrate our quiet children. And we look at how we give them strategies and tools to get into conversations, to get mm. into classroom situations. And it's that—it's like a little, they need a little bridge sometimes to do that.
1: Mm. So perhaps you could tell us a bit more about what you found that bridge looks like if we're going to build a bridge for these children because I I guess I'm just thinking about training my own teachers now and so much emphasis is about assessment for learning it's about getting our children to, to verbalize their understanding or to demonstrate their understanding because we can't see what's going on in their heads so what strategies are going to be useful in checking their understanding but not creating circumstances where they feel that they can't
3: I think, I think initially it's about developing good relationships with pupils. And I know it's a, a key theme at the moment, particularly in terms of additional learning needs, but I think it applies to all children, um, is that we adopt person-centred practices um, in the way that we begin to get to know our learners and know them as people rather than as a classroom. And I think if you know your learner you know, the pupils in your classroom, uh, you're better able to encourage them to voice their opinions and their thoughts on certain things. So from the outset, I think that is the key components to it all. But there are other strategies that you can use in the classroom, things like peer to peer working. So, you know, pairing up pupils with each other to maybe discuss a problem. um, And then that one person is nominated as the representative of that pair or that's very small group maybe looking carefully at the dynamics of the group and maybe trying to mix them up slightly um, and gently so that the group becomes more cohesive as a group rather than uh, individuals within that group dominating and um, so I think it's about first of all relationships and then working those relationships within the classroom environment and I think as well as uh- Following on from Rihanna's point there, as a practitioner, you need to
2: be upskilling yourself and, and reading about how to facilitate a learning environment for the quiet child or for children who've, who are quieter than the other children. That's really, really important. And I think one of the things that's also really important is to try and have times in the day where you have quiet times um, and the classroom. Because w- one thing that, that, that really bothers quiet, shy and child, anxious children are things like break times, going out on the playground, when everything's really really noisy so it's looking at how I mean obviously it's. I, I know it's, it's a challenge to, to keep things quiet in a, in a busy classroom but I think you need to have quiet times and I think it's really really important to make sure that you get your children to listen as well listen to others and sit quietly while people are speaking without talking over others because that's the thing that that quiet children find really really difficult is when they do get their little voice out they might say something and then somebody else just talks over them because they can talk over them because that that's the, that's the nature of of the quiet child they're they're hesitant they're reticent to speak um so they need real encouragement to do so because it can be um a, a real real achievement for them to to speak in it a, in a, especially in a classroom situation circle time that sort of thing so as Rhiannon said it's looking at giving them those tools that that you know, talking with a partner or empowering them to do that. So it's really, really important.
1: It strikes me actually that uh, a lot of the momentum at present, and I'm, I'm sure prior to this, but it feels like we're in a moment in time at the moment where there's a lot of emphasis being placed on Oracy, uh, Voice Twenty One, the work of Mercer and Alexander dialogic teaching. Can you do you see that as a as an agenda and and a, a field that is going to be useful to this? this research area to these groups of learners uh, yeah i i do definitely but i
2: think it's really really important that that, that people realize that that it's more difficult for quiet children to to get into that arena. So yes, I absolutely hear what you're saying, but looking at giving them those skills and strategies. Sorry, Rhiannon.
3: Well, what I was going to say, exactly the same, but also by providing that environment for learners benefits everybody. So it's yes. a very inclusive yeah. environment because we all need to to self-regulate and to understand and appreciate the voices of others. And often in very busy classrooms, it's quite easy to bypass that. Um, so By providing those quiet times, um, circle times, um, opportunities for all people to express what they want their thinking and for other people to listen and to respect that, I think that's good inclusive practice all round. And I Mm -hmm. think maybe the more noisier children or the more vocal children, actually it gives them opportunity to reflect and to think because perhaps they don't have that time either.
1: Um, Something that struck me about what you said earlier, uh, Sue, was uh, about doing some reading. And we really do advocate that our student teachers are given the time to really consider what literature Mm. is telling them as well as what they're seeing in the classroom.
0: Mm. So for
1: those starting out, really Mm. wanting to do some more reading on this, you've mentioned a few authors, but are there any sort of key texts that, that is worth pointing out to them?
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Everybody should read this book, quiet by Susan
2: Kane um she's also done a TED talk as well yeah Rihanna's got it there also I would have a little a look at the work of Ray Crozier who um, is a professor at Cardiff University because he is the guru of writing about the, the shy child um, he's written many many academic papers about that and I'd also have a look at, at Rod Gilbert actually because he's got uh, he had some great stuff and it's on YouTube because he's a shy person and he actually worked with Ray Crozier on his on, on his documentary about being shy so and he's got some um, so again a little bit more light-hearted obviously, see the, the the rod uh don't 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 quote him in an academic
1: <laughs> 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 i know the documentary but, uh, i mean i saw yeah. that and I, I and and he's he's a perfect example isn't he of someone who you could you could assume is completely confident and you know is is not a, a shy at all but actually he he kind of hides behind his comedy doesn't he in a way exactly. yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Is there anything kind of coming up or the the direction that your research is going in that you're getting some interesting findings or or where you see your research going to next? Um, What's your kind of next avenue of investigation on this front?
3: Currently, um, Sue and I have just started another project. So we're recruiting participants from primary schools um, across Wales and England and beyond. Sue and I have developed an intervention programme or a support programme. So Sue started it for the early years and then we've developed it for Key Stage 2. So we're looking for participants there and I'm passionate about speaking Welsh and being a Welsh speaker so it's all available in Welsh and in English so we've got a number of schools on board at the moment but we're still looking for other schools if they're interested in taking part so it's a six-week intervention um, with activities that take place on a weekly basis Um, and we've asked practitioners to baseline their students according to a social and emotional baseline that Sue has created Um, so to do that at the beginning of the support programme and then um, to reflect on that as you're going through um, and then at the end to use the baseline again to see if any improvements have been made so we've got a number of schools on board already but we're also looking for any other participants any other schools that would like to take part
2: Interestingly when I did some research a little while ago I found that the special me time program which Rhiannon has just explained about was very beneficial to boys and especially boys who had English as an additional language which was a finding that I hadn't set out to look at and it was really interesting that the research did actually highlight on the baseline scores, as Rhiannon said, real achievement Mm -hmm. for boys with EAL. I don't know why. The only thing I can think is that the fact that the children worked in small groups, they had teacher time given to them, and they were able to express themselves in that small group situation, and the boys really, really seemed to respond to that. One little boy in a nursery was... An elective mute, he didn't speak a single word because he was the, the youngest of about seven in his family. So all the, the older siblings spoke for him. And the special me time over the six weeks period, first of all, first week, not a word, six, the end of the six weeks, he was speaking to the other children and he asked the caretaker for a toy that had been thrown across the school grounds to be retrieved and the caretaker nearly nearly fell over because his child didn't say a single word so we proved just in that short space of time a six-week period and again the other thing to, to set out with a special me time program it's not complicated in any way very very simple resources and they all really very very easily you can easily resource the program all you need to do is sit down have some time out of the classroom and just speak to the children That that's it in a, in a nutshell and and is it applicable in a secondary context well I think as Rhiannon said perhaps I'll, I'll pass over to Rhiannon now because we are looking at developing it in secondary
3: yeah we've so when we put out a call to see if people were interested in taking part we had a number of secondary schools that were also interested um so that is something that we are exploring so we've got um two uh, secondary teachers on board at the moment but if again if anybody's interested in the program Mm. um, and interested in looking at um, developing resources with us you know they're more than welcome to contact us the difference between the primary and the secondary is obviously the resources will have to be quite different in order to cater for the more mature learner so they're going to have to be quite different from what we've got for the primary school Mm. Um, so that's probably phase two I think yeah that's phase two (laughs)
2: <laughs> We're yeah. busy, with, busy enough with phase one at the moment.
3: I think key, key to the whole thing is providing space and time for learners to express themselves. And often in our classrooms, we don't have that space or that time. And I think once children realise that they they are allowed that space and allowed that time it it develops their confidence um, and then maybe it just gives them a little boost that they need in order to be fully participate in the classroom yeah definitely I mean from
2: all of our data so far there have been I mean, because people say to me oh, are there any negatives I, I'm really really struggling to find a negative mm. I mean the only negative is really the, the time it takes to put it into place but that that's about it so um it's benefited every single child that's taken part in the program so far there's been over 42
1: so far so i suppose naysayers would be those who are prioritizing curriculum content and we've got you know we've got stuff to get through i can't i can't be giving my time over to this but you're saying that it it potentially would pay dividends if if they do i think Yes I think this is the thing it's it's so so simple
2: and it's very very effective and also it targets those children who because we're not looking at children with with an additional learning need we're looking at children who just coast along in the classroom perfectly well they're achieving but they're not achieving at their potential and I think this is the the premise of this program it's not the children that that would really be ever be picked out of a classroom in fact I had a interesting little story here I had a student because when when we did this with the students a couple of years ago I had a student who was really keen to uh, undertake the program she went into her I said well you're gonna have to ask your head teacher you've got to get the head teacher on board went into school had a chat with the head teacher and the head teacher said to her yeah that sounds really interesting but we haven't got any children like that in our school so that shows you what we're sometimes what we're working what we're up against um, and unfortunately that student didn't get to um didn't get to carry out the program.
3: All, all all the activities that we've got as part of the resources, they're all linked to the, dare I say, old curriculum and also to the Successful Futures curriculum. So, you know, there is a place for these activities within the curriculum. And I suppose there is a possibility that it could be if we're talking about fully inclusive classrooms. There is a possibility that some of these activities could be done within the classroom environment rather than taking children out so it could be part of the day-to-day activities that are, are happening anyway in school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as long as the, the quiet children have that little, little space yeah. for themselves, because mm. that's really, really
1: important. Mm. Thank you both. It's been absolutely fascinating hearing about your research and we wish you all the very best with the new directions that it's going to be taking. We'll we'll, we'll certainly want to have you back on a little bit later down the line to, uh, to talk more about what you found we set you a little bit of homework as we always do for our guests uh, and, and i'm just wondering have you got something for our listeners to try any practical strategies i mean you've given us quite a few there actually in relation to your research but have you got anything yes i've got what well, i've got one. this is one that they might like to do for themselves actually it's very simple because all
2: the all the special me time and the quality me time stuff is very simple A little well-being you asked for well-being tip didn't you emma we did um, and i just said take some time to listen to nature so go outside sit outside um in your garden or in the park and just listen to nature listen to birds singing listening to the trees rustling um which i think is is my
1: top well-being tip for Thanks. all you know for all time really thank you sue and uh, anything to try from you Rihanna, or, or have you got something
3: interesting to try yeah, yeah. um well, i was thinking Often um, in the classroom, we're quite busy as practitioners having a role in imparting information. And what is nice to try is that um, you get others in the class, you get the pupils in the class to teach each other something new. And the benefits of that are huge because not only does the person who is teaching, they understand what they're teaching better, they have a greater understanding of what they're teaching Um, and they also realise then how difficult it is to explain clearly to others the the information they want to convey Um, and then for the participant or the pupil in that process um, it develops a a different dynamic, a different relationship between both the, the, the one pupil who's teaching and the other people who's receiving that information and it empowers both it's quite an empowering exercise to do so I'd encourage people to try that out thanks
1: Rhiannon you're part of a a book a staff book club that we've got on the go um so I'm sure that you've got something that you've been reading or or listening to or watching we often talk about what we're what we're reading or listening to uh when when we're in passing so have you got anything interesting for us
3: Yeah, I am. I have to say I'm an avid reader and that's my well-being tip as well. I I don't always read academic books. I'm going to recommend an academic book now. Um, And I do like to sort of just escape um, into fiction a a lot of the time. But this is a really good book um, that I would recommend. It's called Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. I don't know where I found or came across this book i think i follow twitter I follow a lot of people on twitter and often people recommend books and i think oh that might be interesting and this really intrigued me and honestly i couldn't put it down as a woman i was unaware of how biased our society is and our world is towards men um, and she talks i think she's quite objective throughout the book until the last chapter and then she gets a bit on her high horse and has a rant but actually Um, I don't blame her because when you read the book and you realise the bias towards men, particularly in terms of medicine, so she talks a lot about when we go to the doctor for an ailment and we're prescribed a dose of medicine, very often that's only been trialled on men um, and women are obviously generally a lot smaller, have smaller frames um, and different, you know, work in a different way. But we all have to take that um, medicine or that dosage that has just been trialed on men. That's one example. She talks about other examples in terms of car design in particular um, and how car cars are only tested on a typical male body. Um, so if we were to have a crash as a female, it's, it's likely to impact us in quite a different way. So it's a fascinating book. I, you know, I really enjoyed
1: reading it. So I'd recommend that one. Do you know, you're, 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 if my memory serves me correctly, Tom, you're not the first person no, to recommend this book, say, actually. I, I think, think that Kirkland... one has
0: stormed to the top of the most recommended book list. Is that three times mm. you've read oh, that really? one? I must read <laughs> no. that now. No, no is I
1: think it's, t- is it twice?
0: I don't know. It think comes up a lot, that book. And I confess I haven't read it yet.
1: But it's very topical, isn't it? Because I, uh, I remember around the time that, you know, PPE at start of, of COVID, there was a, a lot of criticism about the sizing of of the ppe Mm. that was being provided the standard stuff that was going to Mm. the nhs and Mm. care homes it not being
3: designed with women in mind well she talks about police women and so you know they have to wear like a body vest they are only designed for men and there was a lady there uh, a lady police officer who the body vest did not fit her um, so she actually bought her own because it didn't go to her stomach area so if you get shot obviously you don't want to be shot anywhere um, so she bought a, a, a specifically made body vest that actually covered her, her stomach area as well um, and lost her job because she wasn't wearing regulation police wear My goodness. It's, just, it's just astounding Yeah, wow. so there's some really, really um, there's some good stories in there I, I'd recommend it,
1: it's a good book Thank you for that, Rhiannon. Anything from you, Sue? Anything you're reading? um, My my book doesn't have as much gravitas. I'm reading (laughs) Over the Top
2: by Jonathan Van Ness (laughs) from Queer Eye, which is um, an excellent book, actually, really good book. So uh, I'm not reading. uh, I tend to read. I read an academic book in the daytime, but when I go for my bedtime reading, I like to read a book which is a bit more, um, bit more frothy. but there are some. Actually, there are some quite. uh, interesting
1: issues that jonathan uh, discusses in the book but very good book actually we welcome all recommendations on this podcast yes, i recommend i recommend that one then highly jonathan van ness over the top <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and finally Rhiannon, how do you look after your well-being reading i love reading, oh yeah you did say didn't you yeah, i clearly i yeah. need to sort out my listening skills
3: <laughs> <laughs> no i read a lot um and i I like to do yoga, but I haven't been able to do so much during the lockdown. I'm not very good at doing it on my own. I need to be in a class. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have recently started running round the block. And my goal is not to stop. At the moment, I'm stopping. So, yeah, but I feel so much better just having a quick run in the morning before I start work. It, it just changes your mind frame completely so that's my well-being tip at the moment oh,
2: Yeah, definitely because I'm, I am I'm run, run and I love running and it's, and it's really really gives me so many so much headspace and that's where I get all my best ideas when I'm running the only downer is I have a fantastic idea and I'm running and I've got a pen to write write it down I gotta try and remember it like i get back home again
1: yeah <laughs> so, good ideas do tend to come through yes, exercise I don't find they that.
2: I really do find it gives me that kind of head real headspace when I when I run
1: I can't say I love it yet. Maybe that comes, comes just, after a comes, while. Come. You wait till you get that run as high, Rhiannon. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah. And also, I get you're... the
3: high at the end, but not, not yeah. when I'm doing it. What you need, you
2: need a you need a a watch. You need I've got a watch that that you know. So I, I I don't I don't run against other people. I'm in competition with myself. So I try and run better than I I ran the day before or the or we,
1: you know yeah. whenever. Yeah. So that really helps me. Well. Dr Rhiannon Packer, Dr Susan Davis it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today and um, we hope that and we're sure actually that our listeners will have plenty to uh, to think about and to consider and to read more into uh, in the future based on what you've shared with us Jochen fawr jaun i chi Hopefully I got that right Rhiannon <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, And thanks to you Tom and we'll be back in your ears in another two weeks
0: you've been listening to emma and tom talk teaching a podcast about all things education presented by emma thayer and tom breeze our special guests this episode were dr susan davis and dr Rhiannon packer both colleagues of ours here at cardiff metropolitan university thanks to them for taking part podcast artwork is by beth blandford and the music is by cameron stewart we'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting until then take care and enjoy teaching